Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading to Psalm 42. Some of the lyrics of this psalm are going to be familiar to you because there are two prominent verses that form praise songs that you hear uh, sung on the radio or if you go to camp or to youth retreats. There are some popular songs that are sung at those events that come directly from this psalm. Now, this psalm is different because it's not attributed to David. This is one that is attributed to someone else. It is actually from the sons of Korah. Now, the sons of Korah, if you remember back in the Old Testament, Korah was the person that David and Solomon had put in charge of temple worship. Uh, Korah was a musician of some kind, so possibly he was in charge of the choirs of Israel, uh, the Levitical singers, the song services that would go on in the temple, the elaborate music that would be played. That was his job. So it makes sense that there would be psalms written by Korah and the sons of Korah. These would just be people that are developing music and lyrics in the temple. And so these lyrics and these songs are inspired by God, which makes it pretty neat when you think about it, songs that God inspired these people to write. That's why the Psalms have been so important in the life of God's people. That's why we do a Psalm every Monday, is I want it to be a part of what we do in our daily reading. It's that important for thousands of years, God's people have been fed by the Psalter. So think of the Psalter as God's prayer book and God's song book. And uh, this Psalm really speaks to people uh, that are despondent, maybe in a a low place spiritually, like you feel like God is not there. In this particular case, more than likely, this was written when the Israelites were in exile. So imagine the temple being your lifeblood of worship. You experience God's presence in the temple. And here's where we make a big mistake. A lot of times we read uh, these prophetic rants against the temple that are written by the prophets right before the exile, and we think, well, the, the temple was just dull and sterile and full of works righteousness, and it was just horrible. But actually, the temple was a wonderful place. When it was functioning the way it was supposed to, you see, God wasn't against ritual. God was against dead ritual, and that's where we get it wrong. The rituals of the temple, the song service of the temple, was a beautiful thing, and it fed the souls of the worshiper. Now, imagine that's been taken from you. God was made real and God was made presence through the temple service. Now, there's nothing wrong with that at all. This is a good thing. The temple was a good thing in its time in God's plan. So imagine the song service of the temple made you feel closer to God. The pomp and circumstance, the sacrifices reminded you that now you had fellowship with God. These are all good and and beautiful things. And now in exile, this has been taken away. In exile, the temple has been destroyed. There's no longer the elaborate song service of the temple that you could participate in. There was no longer the processions that you could be a part of. The people would come in on these pilgrim processions and they would imagine groups of people walking toward the temple, singing songs together, how powerful that had to be. Maybe you've been in settings like that, a church service where the song service was just amazing and you felt like you'd been lifted up into the heavenly places. Or maybe you've been at a camp before, some youth gathering in the the singing is so loud it lifts the, the, the roof off the place. And when I was a kid, we would go to what's called the Diana singing. Some of you might have heard of that before. 
up in Tennessee, and the singing there was something like that at times. It would just lift you up into the heavenly places. So this is what the psalmist is missing. He is in exile. So with all that, that's a long introduction, but it'll make sense of what's happening in the psalm by knowing that going in. So let's read this entire psalm. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the deadly wounds in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say, say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So there's this longing for God that begins the psalm. Now think of being in an arid place and in the dry season in Palestine, there would be some places where living water or running water would be available in these streams. Imagine you're parched and you're thirsty and you finally get a cool drink of water. The psalmist is saying that is what he misses. God is like that. God is like this living water that he needs. He's thirsting for the living God. Living God is in contrast to the dead gods of idol worship. We don't worship wood or we don't worship a metal image we worship, or a stone graven image, we worship a living God. And then we have this self-talk that he's doing here. Now, I've learned through my studies that this is very rare in the ancient world. Ancient writers usually did not write introspectively with self-talk like this. This sets the Bible apart from a lot of other cultures. You'll see this throughout David's Psalms. You'll see this in the book of Romans even, where Paul in Romans chapter 7 has this deep introspective inner talk. Ancient people just didn't write this way or talk this way. This is sounds a lot more like a, a Westerner who's individualistic in a lot of ways. And I, I'm not advocating radical Western individualism, but it does sound almost like a Westerner uh, with deep introspection. So that, that was rare in the ancient world. So I just want to throw that out there. But So he's got this talk and he's saying, look, I need to remember. Remembrance in the Bible is a big deal. You'll see that over and over again when things bad happen. Uh, they remember the past wonderful things God did for them. So there's this remembrance. Okay, it seems like everything's horrible. Where is God right now? Please remember. Remember what it used to be like. Remember when you used to go to the temple. Remember when you were walking with all those people and you were shouting with joy and you were singing songs of adulation. Maybe that's something we should do sometimes. I don't know if we do that when we have low moments, but remember a really powerful worship service you were a part of. Remember a powerful song service you were a part of. Or remember an act of service that you were working together with other Christians 
and how it was just a good and a noble thing. And it was a great day. Remember those good days when you're having these low moments. Remember those days where you just knew God was present with you in those times. So remembrance is important. And then he's got this inner talk again, talking to his own soul. Why are you downcast? What's wrong with you, man, basically? Hope in God. So he's talking to himself here. Maybe we should do that. I do think good inner talk is is a good thing. I'm one to talk. I don't do that very well sometimes. I talk negatively to myself. But good inner talk, biblical inner talk, we're talking to our own soul and saying, you need to remember you're a child of God. Remember God loves you. God cares about you. Positive inner talk, I think, is very important. And that's what you got going on here. So his soul is cast down. He talks about he is cast from the land of Jordan. So he's somewhere probably to the north of Jordan, the context would say. He is somewhere outside the land, and that's why most people think this is in Babylonian exile when this is written. But he says he's this weird, enigmatic uh, phrase, deep calls to deep, and this is puzzled scholars. Deep calls to deep more than likely would refer to the watery chaos and the creation event, these chaotic waters. And then the waterfalls, this would be uh, the beginning of the Jordan River. It would begin something like this out of the mountains, Mount Hermon. You would have these waterfalls that would uh, come down and cascade, especially during the raining season. So you've got this roar of waterfalls, the roar of the waves of the ocean. And it seems like these this watery chaos is going to overtake him. And remember, to Jews, uh, the water of chaos was not a good thing. But this is going to consume him. But he's reminded in verse 8 of God's hesed. And there's that word we use a lot. We say this a lot in Psalms. God's covenant love. God is his rock. So even though he's in exile, even though he doesn't have corporate worship, even though he can't go and sing with God's people, God is still his rock and his fortress. And there's some comfort in that. And so he is ends this psalm with that he is going to hope in God. His soul is in turmoil. He is really struggling in his innermost person. But he's reminding himself at the end of this psalm that he should hope in God and he will find praise in him again. It's going to happen again. There's a bright future. And so he's just reminding his own heart that everything is going to be okay. So a lot can be learned from this. As we read through this, we can probably identify with these same feelings at times, these low moments, these spiritual lows, and we can always think back to those days of spiritual highs when we knew God was in that place and God was with us. Well, I hope you have a great day, and I hope you join us tomorrow as we jump back into our uh, look at the life of Christ. We're going to have some different kind of readings the next few days, and you'll see that as you come along with us. But I hope you have a great day. Hope to see you back tomorrow.